Testing, testing. One, two, three, 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 three. Hello there. I'm back. You're back. We're back on Backlick Cinema, the podcast. I'm your host, Zoe. That's Z O or Z O. To the cinema fans overseas, it's the 88th episode. Thank you for downloading or streaming. We really appreciate it. We want to take a look back at the movies of yesteryear and talk about the movie we love to watch from the 70s, 80s, and the early 90s. If you like what you're about to hear, then please take time to offer some support by giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can also share our show on social media. Speaking of which, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. You can find the details in the show notes. And now, before I get started on this fantastic movie, I would like to present to you a word from Beth and Kirsten from the Made for TV Movie Podcast. If you need to find them, just give them a goog at pound sign MFTVMC Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Beth. And I'm Kirsten. And we are the hosts of the Made for TV Movie Club Podcast. Beth, we've been friends for a long time. We sure have, Case, since before Rachel kissed Ross for the first time. It's true. And since we share a love of all things TV, we decided to team up to review our favorite TV movies from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You don't need to watch the movie. We did that for you. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Deezer, and iHeartRadio. And find us on our socials. Join us in our Facebook group, Made for TV Movie Club Podcast. Follow us on Insta at made underscore four underscore TV underscore movie underscore club. Tweet us at TV Movie Club Pod one. Or give us a Google at hashtag TVMC Podcast and you'll find us. We'll see you soon in, in the, the clubhouse. And we're back. All right. I'm really excited about presenting this movie to you today. And the reason I'm excited is because this is one of the movies I basically grew up on. Me and my brothers fully enjoyed watching this particular movie over and over and over again. I have much of it embedded somewhere in my DNA. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It made me a fan of Michael Keaton and it made me love Joe Piscopo and the movie to which I am referring is Johnny Dangerously. To tell you a little bit about this movie, young John Kelly, desperate to keep his ailing mother healthy, enters into a life of crime to keep up with her ever-mounting medical bills. He becomes Johnny Dangerously, and once he's in the business of crime, he can't get out and goes on to lead a criminal empire that is dogged by the DA who happens to be his own brother. This movie was released on December 21st, 1984, produced by Edgewood Productions and 20th Century Fox. It grossed over $17 million in the U.S. and Canada and nine million on a $9 million budget. And it had okay to middling reviews. I don't know what's up with those peoples. I thoroughly love this movie. I don't, I don't know why. Why it has to be that way. Why? Why do we have to fight? <laughs> and yet fight we must because... Uh, this movie is not the much beloved movie that I thought it would was or that I thought it would be, but um, but but there we are. Uh, I guess 
maybe I love strange things. That that could be it. But uh, I, I don't, I, you know, it, it's, this is not a movie that I could commune with my friends and distant family members with. It, it wasn't that type of movie. It was just movies that I shared with my brothers. I don't remember talking to anybody outside of my, of my brothers about, about this movie. But uh, let, let me tell you more about this movie. Who was in this movie? Well, we can start it off with Michael Keaton as Johnny Dangerous, Dangerously slash Johnny Kelly. He's been in Birdman, The Founder, and Batman. Of course you knew that. Also is Joe Piscopo. He plays Danny Vermin. He was in Wise Guys, Dead Heat, but most people know him in his stint in SNL. Up next is Mary Lou Henner. She played Liz Sheridan. She was in L.A. Story, Noises Off, and Rustler's Rhapsody. Maureen Stapleton as Ma Kelly. She's been in The Money Pit, Airport, and Cocoon. Peter Boyle as Jocko Dundee. He was in Taxi Driver, Red Heat, and Young Frankenstein. Yeah, you've got to remember him in Young Frankenstein. That, 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 that actually has to go on the list. Griffin Dune as Tommy Kelly. He's been in After Hours, An American Werewolf in London, and Dallas Buyers Club. Glennis O'Connor as Sally. She's been in Ode to Billy Doe, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, and Jeremy. Dom DeLuise played the Pope. He's been in Blazing Saddles, The Secret of Nymph, The Cannonball Run, and had cameos in countless of, of, of other movies. I mean, he just, back in the day, Dom DeLuise just seemed to pop up everywhere. Everybody knew who it was. Everybody knew what to expect. He, he'll show up in commercials. He'll show up in animation. He, he just tends to show up. He was just one of those, one of those personalities that was a delight to see every time we, that he showed up on screen. Richard Dimitri as Roman Troy Maroney. I haven't seen him much in anything, and he doesn't appear to have this long and revered film career. And most of his time has been on television. And uh, you might have seen him in a movie called Ri Let It Ride, or you might have seen his appearance on Hawaii Five O. But as joyful as it was to see him in this movie, you don't get to see him much anyplace else. Danny DeVito starred as D.A. Burr. He's been in Matilda, Throw Mama from the Train, The War of the Roses, and a bunch of other movies. I hear he's also going to be in a movie called Triplets, which is the sequel of Twins. That ought to be interesting. Ron Carney as Pat. He's been in History of the World Part 1, High Anxiety, and Barney Miller. Most people would know him from Barney Miller. Ray Walston, he played the vendor. He's been in Popeye, Fast Times at Richmond High, and The Sting. And some people will recognize him as the groundkeeper at Starfleet Academy on Star Trek The Next Generation. Dick Butkus played Arthur. He's been in The Last Boy Scout and Any Given Sunday. Well, I think most people would know him. Wasn't he a coach in the NFL? or a football player. I can't remember, but I know he has a strong connection to football. Uh, you can at me on that. Alan Haley Jr. 
uh, I think it's Hale, Alan Hale Jr. as the death sergeant. He's been on Gilligan's Island, Harlem, <laughs> Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island, and Rescue from Gilligan's Island. You know, he may have been in other parts. He has shown up on other TV shows. But if you're going to remember him for doing anything, you remember him as the skipper on Gilligan's Island and its various uh, spinoffs. Finally, we have Scott Thompson as Charlie. You've seen him in Twister and Police Academy, if if you've seen those things. Moving, along, <laughs> moving right along, this movie was directed by Amy Heckerling. She's also directed Clueless, Fast Times at Richmond High, and Look Who's Talking. It was written by Norman Steinberg, Bernie Kukoff, and Harry Columbi. Steinberg, for his part, wrote Paul's of Fury, The Legend of Hank, and Blazing Saddles. Kukoff created Different Strokes and Rags to Riches. He's also written on Operation Petticoat. You know, all of these are TV shows. He's mainly a TV writer. And the only one that I've seen is Different Strokes. And that that was an act, act that was an absolute cultural phenomenon. Lastly, we have Columbia, who created a show called Working Stiffs, and he's written on Comedy of Horrors and Touch and Go. I'm not familiar with any of those, but I'm sure they're good. The music is by John Morris. He has 66 credits to his name. He's also written music for Stella. Clue and the Elephant Man. Oh, also uh, under music, it is very important that I point out that the theme song for this movie, This Is the Life, is a theme from Johnny Dangerously, was written and performed by Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, when the movie first started, and I started hearing that, I looked to Zach and was like, "Do you know who's singing that song?" <laughs> of course, he didn't know, and I had to point it out. That's Weird Al Yankovic doing his thing. And then the other original song, Dangerously, was written by John Morris and performed by Mary Lou Henner as Liz Lil Sheridan. Lil Sheridan, not not Liz. It's funny because it's Lil like, you know, Lil Wayne, but in I think in this instance it's it might be short for Lily or something like that. But I just now realize it's Lil Sheridan could be something like Lil Wayne Lil Wayne, Lil John, uh uh actually I wouldn't say Lil. It's more like Lil, like Lily. So Lil, Lil Sheridan. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, that That's it for the opening credits. And if you're enjoying the show, remember that you can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, jerseys, and more at our refurbished website, backlickcinema.com. Autumn is coming up. Oh, Autumn is here. Autumn is here now. I'm reading like old, old content. But yeah, Autumn is upon us now. And uh, the school season is upon us. Everybody should be back in school by the time you hear this. So go out and check out the the fashion on on uh on on the website. It's not I don't have anything new up as of late, but you may not have picked up a hoodie yet. You may not have picked up a sweatshirt yet. So yeah, go to the site, pick those things up. And coming up next, we're going to talk about our favorite parts. And now we're back to talk about our favorite parts. 
This is like the meat and potatoes. This is why I started the podcast to talk about the things I loved about particular movies. Are you expecting a deep dive into the deep meanings of movies? No, not not on this show. I, I I'm not that deep. But I will tell you the stuff I loved about any given movie that I truly loved. And so, yeah, this is all surface level over here. And uh but I did note that it uh it has this thing where um it looks they're they're trying to make it look like an old timey movie, but not too old, right? So it's the colors are faded, but not in black and white. And the the actors are, you know, they it, it looks like period themed makeup. Like there's a little bit you can notice a little bit of eyeliner, a little bit of shadow on all of the characters, both men and women. Uh and so it they're giving it that kind of old timey look to it. And I and I I rather like that. And I already mentioned earlier the the weird owl theme. And uh and that is also made to sound like like an old timey song that, that's part of the theme. So the thing I really liked about this movie are all of the gags that were basically packed into this movie. There's really there's so many gags that that you can miss a lot of it. It's like every time you watch the movie, you're gonna catch more and more gags. And then there are so there are gags that are so old that that you won't get. Like there are a lot of gags that Zachary didn't get. So if I were to talk about our favorite parts of the movie for both me and Zachary, it's really all of the gags that they packed into the movie, the ones that we could catch anyway. Now, as I mentioned, this movie came out in 1984, so they're going to pack some gags or they're going to joke about stuff that kind of happened in that time period. So, uh, but the most of the gags I would call timeless. It was like they're, they're classic gags and they're really funny. And I just, and that's one of the things I enjoyed most about this movie is how they were, able to pack all the gags in there so there there are gags that are referring to homosexuality there are gags referring to the particular time period the 1930s there are gags referring to gangster movies so they and so much more so they pack so much in and that's what and so when i talk about when i'm talking about my favorite parts of this movie and i'm i'm mainly going to talk about the gags in this movie so for example that the movie opens with uh, Johnny Dangerously, the owner. Well, no, not even Johnny Dangerously. In in this instance, it is Michael Keaton playing Johnny Kelly, and he is he is the owner of a pet shop. He has, and there's a bunch of gags in pet shop. Like there's one point where he's taking like a an old fashioned pricey sticker, and he's putting price stickers on the pets, like stuff like that. And um, he catches a kid trying to steal uh one of his pets. And, you know, he stops him. Apparently he's created like a store alarm. And I think that's supposed to be a gag. It This particular gag was not that funny, but it, he has a store alarm where you, you try to put something under your coat and try to walk out the store. And then the, the alarm goes off. And, uh, and that's how the boy is caught. And uh, apparently Johnny Kelly had invented this, uh, this type of alarm back in the 1930s. So anyway, he sits the boy down and he, he starts to tell him about why the life of crime doesn't pay and tries to set the boy on the straight and narrow. This is like a, a tough kid. It's like, you know, he don't need no advice from some old man. But Johnny, uh, Johnny Kelly, he's going to he's going to set this kid straight. 
So he sits down and he starts to talk to him. And then you get this wavy effect, like you're about to go into the past. And then the boy wait, the boy is like, hey, wait, what's going on? And Johnny is like, oh, don't worry about it. It always does that when we talk about the past. So it's a little bit of a fourth wall break here. They have a couple of minor wall breaks throughout the movie. And then like there's a major wall break, like right fourth wall break right in the middle of the movie. As a matter of fact, the trailer of the movie is just one massive wall break so you know it's funny because i i don't ever remember seeing a trailer for this movie and when i went into the dvd extras that's when i happened to see the trailer and that was kind of funny because i figured i would have seen something like this but i never saw it. the only time i've ever watched this was when it was on hbo so in the trailer for the movie you have one of the main bad guys his name is uh vermin and that's played by Joe Piscopo, Danny Vernon. And the scene opens up with uh, the projection booth in your local movie theater. And then Danny Vernon, and, you know, the projection is about to do this job. And Danny Vernon bursts in on the projectionist. And he looks directly at the camera and he's talking about how the projectionist is about to show you the trailer for Johnny Dangerously. I think he knocks the projectionist out and basically takes over the booth, right? So in this that, you know, and he's... uh. And he's basically talking about the trailer as the trailer is playing, taking over the vo- uh, the voice of God duties, but he's doing it as Danny Vermin. So I think that kind of sets up the audience that this is going to have events in a movie where the fourth wall is broken. The past effect is part of it. The, the, when they're going to the past and the boy being told the story notices that the entire world is getting like wavy it's, and that they're going into the past. So that that was one of the gags. It, it's funny because it, it sort of sets you up for the movie. And then there was this point where uh, as as you go into a scene and it's describing a time period, I don't remember if this was the very opening of the movie or this is when Johnny starts talking about the past. But you see the words, the the type that shows you what year it is. And in this case, it happens to be 1939. And then instead of fading away, like, the type usually does a car comes and runs over it and and crushes it as it's driving by so that's a nice little i don't i wouldn't know if that's a fourth wall break but that's another a nice little gag there it's like almost like a blink and you'll miss it type of gag it's like if you're not paying attention you don't notice that the car's running over it's just a bunch of gags that they that they sneak into the movie and then um uh johnny is introducing the setting of the story and talking about how tough it is. It's uh it's in New York City, it's snowing, the wind is blowing. And then um as and then he talks about his mom, his mom comes into the camera, and then she looks in the camera and talking about how life sucks. And and then as she get she's going to where she's supposed to go, and um I think she's somebody asked her, How is it out there? And she says, It's the worst July in years. So that that is kind of funny. Uh, how it's how it's it's like times are so bad in it that it's snowing in July, but it has it actually has some basis in reality. I don't I don't think it was in the 1900s, but there was a year described in the past as a year without a summer. There was, I you can check on Google. I don't remember the exact details, but I do know that uh, in a I don't maybe it was in a. 18th century or the 17th century, a, a volcano blew up. The explosion of the volcano, I don't know if the explosion or just eruption, but the eruption of this volcano was so severe 
and the cloud cover was so dense that it lowered the world's temperatures and it basically canceled summer for the northern hemisphere. And so it you had like record low temperatures in in the summertime. And I'm not sure if they based the snowing in July gag on that particular incident, but I I, I do know that such an incident happened. There there's also an incident where and so this is another gag. This gag is only really funny in the time period where this movie opened. So there, there's Johnny as a teenager, played by Michael Keaton, who is not a teenager, and he's trying to impress this girl. So he's dancing and he's doing like a regular, he starts off doing what looks like a regular dance that, I don't know, somebody might do in the 70s or whatever. And then, and then he starts breakdancing. He does this, uh, I don't know, some people call it a spinneroony, and he ends by any and, and he ends the spinneroony by arching his back arching his back now this is clear, clearly he's breakdancing he's breakdancing and it's funny because breakdancing was a big thing in the mid 1980s it's not as funny as now because you don't see as many people breakdancing but it was funny back then because it it just looks funny for somebody in the 1930s and the 1920s breakdancing another gag that i really like is uh is this is like later on in the movie where uh Johnny is he's fully Johnny dangerously and but his mother doesn't know that he's a gangster as far as his mother is concerned he's she is he is still her son Johnny Kelly so uh he he wants her to to relax he he can see that she is really working herself out another joke in the movie is is how she's uh she she basically looks like she's in her late 50s or early 60s but at the opening of the movie she's supposed to be like 24 years old or something like that and johnny gives her a birthday present which hap- which is a, a cigarette case no it was an ashtray as a this is actually before okay i'm, I'm jumping up and down because I, I got so many gags i can't keep them in check all right let's 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 rewind go go to the back all right so uh when the movie opens uh it, it shows him as a little boy so uh, there's a point where, as a child, he's delivering newspapers and uh, he gets into a fight with a very young Danny Vermin. And then they meet on later on in the movie. And then when he, he uh, says, and this uh, is a version of Johnny Dangerously that's played by a younger actor. And th- at this point, it's uh, when he goes, uh, he goes to give her a birthday present. And she goes, and it's an ashtray. And she says, thank you, Johnny. I've been thinking of taking up smoking, right? Because <laughs> at one time, smoking was actually uh, a thing that doctors told you would keep you healthy. Doctors actually told you that smoking was healthy. So <laughs> that's, it's funny now. It's it's really funny now. I, I And I know that there's a lot of mistrust of doctors and health professionals nowadays and we can't we can't help but wonder what are the things that we're being told now that is going to be found out to be not particularly healthy later on i think that our science is advanced enough advanced enough now and the techniques of figuring stuff out is advanced enough now that it's happening less and less so it's like a lot of the stuff that they may be telling us will be considered truthful later on down the line. I, I think 
there'll be less instances of science being debunked. At least that's my hope. At any rate, moving right along, still in the past, still with the different younger actor playing Johnny Dangerously, he gets into the life of crime where, uh, where he's at first he's approached by this gang leader. And this would be Jocko Dundee played by Peter Boyle. So he's approached by Jocko and he says, uh, he had seen the fight between Johnny and Danny Vermin and how Johnny had beat up Danny Vermin. And he invites him to go and help him with a job. That is to say, Jocko invites Johnny to help him with a job. And Johnny says no, because, you know, getting into crime would break his mother's heart. And then when he goes home to his apartment, he sees the doctor and the doctor says, well, she needs this. It's another gag is the doctor's always pointing out these ridiculous things that's wrong with his mother. And even more ridiculous is how he says that, uh, you know, how much it would cost, right? He's all, he offers like healthcare as like part of sales. Like, so he says like, well, yeah, this, um, I need to do this operation, but it's going to be $50 this week only, right? <laughs> so that's how uh, the doctor offers his services to Johnny. So Johnny, wanting his mother to stay healthy, decides to join the gang. He, he decides that joining the gang is better than having his mother suffer from these health events. So he joins, uh, he finds Jocko. He joins Gocko's gang into uh, having to interrupt the business of this club. Now, so th- there's this whole scene where uh, that has to do with uh, a, another gang leader at a, at a club that Jocko is is going to. And this uh, is Roman Maroney's club. And so Jocko is going into his adversary's club, pretending on the pretense of just wanting to have a good time for him and his boys. And they give up their weapons. They get patted down and all this kind of stuff. And they go into the club. And, and Johnny goes, comes in later and starts handing out newspapers. But the funniest part about these, this whole scene is just how Troy Maroney is speaking. So he's like, so he'll say something like, if you start anything in my club, I'll have you bells in a sling. So in case you didn't catch that, it, he was he was trying to say, I'll have your balls in a sling. It's just like he has this huge uh, um, exaggerated accent. And another thing I liked about it is like when he gets truly upset, he starts, you know, he, just the way he loses his cool is 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 awesome. Uh, it, this is all attributed to Richard Dimitri, who's who's doing this. And it, it's just it's just funny the way he does that. And it's like uh uh, where he says, I, <laughs> all right, so he, he's like, when Jocko starts to disrupt the club, right? So Johnny is passing out these newspapers. The newspapers have guns in them because Johnny doesn't get searched because he's just a news kid. And so that's when Jocko reaches in and his gang reaches in and pulls out their guns and they catch the, all the body, all the bodyguards, all the, uh, the, club bouncers by surprise and they say and they're they they're robbing the club and they say all, all we want is Maroney's money the Troy Maroney they're they're robbing his club and now he's he's angry and he's like you fucking cocksuckers or cork suckers that's what he says you I'm going to take your bells I'm going to put him in a sling you know that sort of thing um and and he goes on like that and 
Uh, so that's that's it. That whole part is funny. It's just the way the actor is like, like super hamming it up, and it works in that scene. In in that scene, and just basically any time he talks. There's one time jumping ahead to a few scenes later where his club blows up and uh and he's angry he angrily looks at the camera and says this is farking war and then you see a newspaper that spells out farking war they obviously they don't want to put a curse word in there but the way that maroney curses is so tragic that they can basically print all the curse words that he is dying to say and it won't offend anybody because his his accent is so off and so um the whole that so that whole first scene is is just awesome just because of him and so uh so that's how johnny is like johnny's mother ma kelly keeps getting having these health events the doctor keeps coming up with uh the solution but then coming up with these ridiculous deals like you know it's it's a thousand dollars but it's half off or something like that so that's when johnny kelly decides to join the dundee gang full time and he calls himself johnny dangerously fast forward up to the the thing that i was i was talking about earlier uh so i was talking about break dancing and then there's this uh thing where johnny comes in in his mom and like i said she was overworking and whatnot she has laundry clothes throughout the entire apartment it's like clothes are everywhere and she's always done laundry, but this is now adult Johnny coming into her apartment. Now now he's actually wealthy. He's always giving her like uh gifts of money to to help her maintain and make sure that she's cared for. But she doesn't want to give up working. So he's he's like he's going around seeing all these clothes and she's talking about how she's like two years behind on one of her customers' shirts or something like that. And that's when Johnny, he's exasperated. He's like, come on, Ma, I don't want you doing this. I don't want you doing other people's laundry. And she turns to him and she goes, what are you saying? Give up me, career. <laughs> and so that that was one of the things I found so funny. Just um, her acting and delivery at that moment. Um, and actually, what's really funny is that her career is doing other people's laundry out of her apartment like it's like it's not like she has an official dry cleaning store she's just doing people's laundry like as a favor and that that's her career so then the next huge funny part i'm not going to be able to do it justice talking about it you're going to have to find this movie and watch it just for this particular scene so there's uh so johnny has a brother named tommy tommy is somebody that he is because tommy is well because johnny is successful gangster not only is he able to take care of his mother but he's able to push his brother tommy through law school so tommy while he's in school he he has a girlfriend and now he wants to quit school and ma kelly wants johnny to talk to tommy about staying in school and tommy doesn't like want to say out loud why he wants to quit school and it's like he can't he says he says to Johnny, you know, I can't I can't say it in front of Ma. And and then Johnny says, you know, don't worry, Ma, I'll take care of it. You know, he's they're gonna meet Johnny and Tommy are gonna meet later on. And then Tommy's gonna explain why he wants to quit school. And then <laughs> and then uh after Johnny leaves, 
Ma Kelly looks at Tommy and says, What is it? What can't you tell in front of Mama? And he says, oh, come on, Ma, I can't say. And she says, I know. You want to get laid. You want to ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And, and now Tommy's jealous and he's covering his girlfriend. Uh, Tommy's jealous and he's covering his girlfriend's ears. Like she, Apparently he doesn't want his, his girlfriend to hear such language. Like he knows, they know what they want, but they don't want to talk about it. So later on, this is far later on, uh, Johnny... Um, talks to Tommy. He, you know, it's funny, right? Because, uh, so we we know that uh, Tommy is really horny. He wants to quit school so he can marry his wife and finally have sex. So the uh, when he gets into Tommy's club, because now he's a, at this point he's a nightclub owner. That that is his front, so that nobody knows that he is an actually a gangster. So he goes to Tommy's club and he's. Tommy is surrounded by all of these all of these beautiful women that are barely clothed. And this is supposed to damp, you know, shut down the temptation of Tommy. I, I don't think so. It's it's almost like uh he's he's surrounded by all this female sexuality and and at the same time trying to convince Tommy that it's not what it's all cracked up to be. And it, it, at one point he tells Tommy, You don't want to end up like me, you don't end up like this. This ain't all what it's cracked up to be, right? So, so then they go away to the separate room. It's kind of like a theater. Tommy has to watch this film that's presented by Johnny. Now, this film is set up like an old timey, like elementary school film. Like if you, I don't know if they still do it nowadays. I don't know what they're doing. But if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you know what these films look like. They're short little films. They're already old by the time you see them. Like, so if you're going into school in the 1980s, you're watching some film that was developed in the 1970s or the 1960s designed for students to look at and be educated. So in this particular film, it's titled, it's entitled Your Testes. No, it's entitled your testicles and you, right? So this doctor is now going, first it shows a scene of these men walking with canes very slowly. They're walking like old men, but they're relatively young. And uh, they're walking around this institution with these gigantic ball sacks. Like they have gigantic testicles. They're covered up so you don't see them. But it, it looks like somebody implanted a butt on front of them. And, but it's not a butt. It's their testicles. So and they're walking around and uh, apparently they've had, uh, you know, some kind of sexual incident that caused their testicles to swell up to enormous sizes. And this doctor's talking about how uh, your testicles are are fragile and, and they have to be cared for carefully. And so um, and then it shows this animation, this cartoon about how... <laughs> And it's basically uh, in uh, gosh, hard to describe. It's a testicle. It's kind of a is it's an ana, it, ana, anthropomorphic testicle, and or testicles because they're together. And it's trying to like uh, ignore this woman that's, I guess, uh, tempting the testicles to. I don't know. Do what? I don't know. I don't know what testicles by themselves can do with the woman. And the woman is the size of the testicles. It's not like a giant woman and regular size testicles. The woman and the testicles are the same size. That's how absurd this, absurd this animation is. So anyway, she's trying to tempt the testicle. The testicle is trying to ignore, to ignore her. And then finally, the testicles can no longer ignore this woman. And it kisses the woman and it explodes. And that is the danger, apparently, of 
I guess, sexual activity. And and this is what Johnny is trying to warn Tommy of. Like, you, if you engage in sexual activity, it could cause your testicles to swell up and explode. Um, and then uh, this basically is sufficient to scare off Tommy and go back to law school without complaint. And that is, it's the craziest scene, uh, one of the craziest scene in, in the movie. It's, it's ridiculous, but, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. So um, one of the ongoing gags in the movie is uh, Danny Vermin, Danny Vermin. So almost every time something happens to Danny Vermin, he's, uh, he, he's, he issues a, a type of warning. So what's great about Danny Vermin played by Joe Piscopo is like his whole character, his whole demeanor is like something like an, a calm yet exaggerated gangster. He's, he's a, vile and sadistic he's like he's part of johnny's gang he's a member of the gang It's somebody that jocko dundee brought on as one one of his henchmen but and he is in a sense worse than like he he goes he he does extra he like he does more than than, that that is absolutely necessary for a, a gangster to be successful i guess so uh one 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 of my favorite lines is he says something like I enjoy collecting protection money, putting whores to work, loan shocking. I enjoy planting bombs in people's cars. These are a few of my favorite things. So stuff like that. Uh, he says stuff like that all the time. So uh, the running gag, though, is uh, whenever something happens to him, he, like I say, he issues a warning. So one time Johnny grabs him and he says to Johnny, you shouldn't grab me, Johnny. My mother grabbed me once once or the time that uh johnny had grabbed him because there's a time when uh danny sort of challenges johnny over leadership of the of the crime gang because this is after jocko retires and jocko gives the the mantle to johnny and uh in a way danny challenges johnny for the for the leadership and so um, Johnny had basically comes over to Jocko and it's like, you know what? I'm bored with slapping you around. I'm bored with it. So he grabs Danny and hangs him on a hook that's on the, the door. It's like a coat hook on the backside of a door. And then, and then Danny says to Johnny, you shouldn't hang me on a hook, Johnny. My father hugged me on a hook once. Once. And then, in, in a, like at the end of the movie, when uh, Johnny finally shoots Danny, and uh, the Danny is shot, and he, once again, he issues a warning. You shouldn't shoot me, Johnny. My grandmother shot me once. Once. And it's, it's funny that his grandmother would have need to shoot him. That's That's the funny part. I know, I'm explaining the joke, but it's not like you're here to watch the movie. <laughs> so um continuing right along all right so there was a scene where johnny meets um lil sheridan so they they meet they have this cute back and forth it's really cool and they go for a walk and then they're they're just walking and walking and you see the scenery behind them change until they're like they start off in new york city presumably and i don't know the Bronx, Manhattan, who knows where they are. They never really explained where in New York City, the, New York City they're at. 
So they're in New York City, and then next thing you know, they're they're out basically in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and so it is at this point that they fall in love. And so they start kissing, and then the screen fades to fireworks. And this is a kind of a trope that you kind of see done in a lot of early movies. It was kind of a, a, a euphemism or a replacement for a sex scene. Obviously, they couldn't have sex scenes back in the 30s or 40s. So what they did was they showed fireworks. So they they play this trope in the movie. So they start uh, Johnny and Lil start kissing. It fades to fireworks, and then it cuts to Jocko before he retires. It cuts to Jocko, and he's with his gang, and they see the fireworks out their window, and they're like, "Johnny's getting laid." <laughs> so that's so that's funny. Also, uh, another funny part that happened is that so um, before Jocko decides to leave the gang this is actually something that has him to decide to leave the gang so this is when the war with Maroni is still ongoing so he receives a package from uh no not that he receives a package that's that's a different part this this is where uh, a repairman leaves like a plumber he leaves the the toilet and he says okay it's all done boss it, it it's a contractor like sir we fixed your toilet he says, okay, good. And so he goes into the bathroom because he has to use the bathroom at that moment. This is right after the repairman leaves. And then Johnny realized there's something because him and Johnny are were having a meeting or something. So there was something suspicious about the plumber. But before he could air his concerns, the toilet blows up. And then and then Dundee comes out and he's crying. He's like, oh no, oh, oh no, oh. And it's like, and uh Johnny goes in and and he seems to be okay. He's a little burnt up. His clothes are burnt uh and his his like some of his skin is blackened by the smoke or whatever, but he seems to be okay. But he's still crying. And um Johnny tells him, "Calm down. Come on. Come on, Jocko, calm down." And Jocko's like, "Calm down. How can I calm down when I'm holding my dork in my hand?" <laughs> And he's and he starts to cry, and, and then Johnny has to say, "Look, it's not your dog, is it?" And it was like one of those uh, handles that you use to pull the toilet. You would pull this handle to flush the toilet. So the the hand the flusher part was not on the toilet itself. It was like uh, connected to a rope, and you reach out beside you in front of you, and you pull this handle, and that would flush the toilet because it's old timey. It was an old timey toilet. So. <laughs> So that is what he's holding. He's holding this handle and he, he's thinking it, he's thinking that it, it's his penis and that the explosion was as such that it blew his penis off. But that's not what happened. It was just that when the explosion happened, it uh it had him holding this handle. So obviously the explosion wasn't great enough to kill Jocko, but this is the incident that causes Jocko to decide that he needs to retire. So he hands over the club to Johnny giving him the uh a, the lucky um cigarette case that Johnny uses to chew candy out of. Johnny doesn't smoke. Well, actually, I think that he is smoking in a couple of scenes, but then he later on he stops smoking and he's chewing gun uh chewing gum or something like that. I think something like that happens. But um that that that's another funny part. So, uh another part another another gag that I really liked well, both of us really like 
for certain because this is what he recounted to me when I I asked Zachary what his favorite parts of the movie and basically he just tells me the same some of my favorite parts so one of the things that we we liked is that uh so they're they're at uh Tommy's wedding so Tommy's getting married to his wife he graduated law school so now he can get married and what happens is that uh after the marriage uh, or this might be his graduation actually yeah i think this is this is Tommy's actual graduation so uh so after he's he graduates from law school, uh, his mom wants to take a picture, and so um, she's reaching into his per, reaching to her purse, grabbing out a bunch of objects, and and it's like it's, she's like many women, she has a lot of objects in her purse, and she can't she's looking for a camera, she can't find a camera. So at first she she grabs and she grabs a a piece of raw meat, and asks somebody to hold it, and so. Uh, I can't remember if it's Tommy's girlfriend or Lil Sheridan uh, holds the meat for her. And then she grabs a dildo out and then she has to hold the dildo. And then uh, Ma Kelly grabs uh, some something else out. And finally, she finds a camera. But she doesn't, she's not actually trying to take a picture. This is where she hides her alcohol because this is during Prohibition where all alcohol is is outlawed nationwide. And so... When she takes that out, she starts to pour a drink. That's when Tommy goes, Ma, it's prohibition. And she, she's like, she admonished him, stop, stop acting like a choir boy. And, and so, um, and it's also at this at this point where, because the reason that Johnny had funded Tommy's uh education into law school because they expected Tommy to be a lawyer. Uh, Johnny's own father or their, both of their own father was a criminal who was executed. So they didn't actually grow up with their father, but they knew that he was executed. The only photo they have of their father is a picture of him just while he's on the electric chair, just before they turn the electric chair on executing their father. So, <laughs> and this is why she doesn't want any of her boys uh, neither Johnny nor Tommy to be uh, criminals because she says that she didn't want, she's glad that neither of them grew up to be a piece of shit criminal like their father. As far as she knows, um, Johnny is uh, a nightclub owner and Tommy is a lawyer graduating from law school. But this is where Tommy tells Johnny, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to join the DA's office. And I, <laughs> And Johnny is like, you, you want to join the DA office, DA office? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be fighting. I'm going to fight crime. And Johnny is like, so my little brother, who I put through law school, is going to be fighting crime. Crime. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that that was that was pretty funny. But the the funniest part was coming to, uh, taking the stuff out of it was when Ma Kelly was taking the stuff out of her purse. So another point. Uh, so as DA, um, Tommy is trying to capture the criminal Johnny Dangerously, who he does not know is his own brother. So probably asking about this, so I should probably ju- jump into like the middle of I don't know when this actually happens. But there, there's a point where uh, Johnny is going home and everybody in the neighborhood in his home neighborhood knows that he is also Johnny Dangerously. This is what they actually tell the audience. And even the Pope shows up. The Pope, played by (laughs) 
the Pope played by Dom DeLuise shows up in Johnny's neighborhood and he explains that everybody knows that Johnny Kelly is Johnny Dangerously except his mother and his brother and apparently his criminal cohorts and his enemies. Like not every, I think when he said, uh, when the Pope said everybody, he's kind of just referring to everybody in Johnny's neighborhood and himself. Somehow the Pope knows, but like, his mother doesn't know. His brother doesn't know. The gang doesn't know. Johnny Vermin doesn't know, even though he probably should know since he knew Johnny from when he, Johnny beat him up as kids. But it could be that he just didn't know who Johnny was. He he knew he only knew that Johnny Kelly was some kid that he got in a fight with, but doesn't know Johnny's actual background. But like I said, everybody knows. And uh, so it's it's uh so this. The fact that Johnny dangerously is is her son is uh something that has escaped her. So John Kelly, I'm sorry, Tommy Kelly is furiously fighting. He's he goes to the DA office and he's ready to get started. The DA, played by Danny DeVito, uh, he's already bought by Johnny Dangerously. So he immediately tries to steer Tommy away from actually doing his work. So he puts Johnny, I'm sorry, he puts Tommy on vacation. So Tommy's on vacation. And, uh, but instead of like just resting at home or actually going on a honeymoon with his wife, he starts going on the radio and writing newspaper articles about how bad crime is and how, uh, criminals need to put, be put in jail. And he is encouraging like the police force and the mayor's office to do something about this dangerous criminal, Johnny Dangerously and Roman Moroni. So in his efforts, he finally gets to put, you know, uh, Roman Moroni to the question. I, I think that um, it's some kind of hearing. So somehow he's I don't know if uh, Moroni is under arrest, but he he has some he has to appear before he I guess he was subpoenaed some kind of way for a hearing. So during this hearing, it's Tommy as a D.A. questioning um, Moroni. Uh, the and this is if you remember the rival gang member. So one of the things that I really liked about it is, uh, he's he's asking these questions like, yeah, uh, are you, um, uh, are you responsible for this killing? Are you responsible for that killing? Are you responsible for these other killings? And you know, Roman uh, Maroni is calm, cool, and collected. You know, he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and then Tommy presents his machine gun that has Maroney's fingerprints on it. And Maroney's like, you know, where did you get that, huh? And so Tommy, he has one more thing. Like, he doesn't have enough evidence against Maroney. So he has one more thing. So he asks this question. He goes, I have one last question for you. If a train left New York at 300 miles per hour and accelerated speed 15 miles per hour and traveled a distance of 683 miles, tell me, sir, what time would that train reach Chicago? And Maroney is exasperated. He's looking around and he stands up. He's like, that's a fucking trick question. <laughs> this question has nothing to do with, with Maroney committing crime, but it's just a math question that you would find in school. And whenever you read a word math question, they always sound like trick questions. I've always hated these questions and I've got them, gotten them off. I've gotten them wrong often. And that's why this particular point was so funny to me to, to be asked a math question in the middle of uh, an official hearing. 
So when when that happened, uh, when Maroney can't answer this math question, that's apparently enough evidence for the United States to deport Roman Maroney to Switzerland, which he claims he's not from there. Given his name, he's probably from Italy, but he's not. <laughs> but it's it's almost like they don't care. He's he's in Switzerland. Um, and then uh, some other funny parts. Let 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 us let us continue with with the the parts that me and Zachary found funny. So um, Danny DeVito plays a sleazy DA and is as as sleazy as it gets. So first he offers to um he put um Tommy on vacation and even and Tommy is still fighting crime even though he's technically on vacation. So now he and the gang is feeling the heat. Tommy's gang is feeling the heat and um th- this is uh Danny Vermin is threatening to take over the gang. So now Johnny is trying to get the DA to kind of turn up the heat on his own brother. And so the DA starts to offer Tommy Kelly some outrageous bribes. Like he offers him this huge mansion. He offers him this, uh, a huge amount of money and jewelry. And, you know, Tommy's no dummy. He realized that the DA is trying to bribe him. So he says, you know, I'll see you in court. And he leaves the DA's resident. So the DA calls, he's trying to call Johnny, find out what he should do about Tommy Kelly. He doesn't know that they're brothers either. And so Danny, Danny Vermin happens to be at the headquarters and he tells the DA to, he pretends to confer with Johnny, which he isn't. And then he tells the DA, oh yeah, Johnny says, kill, kill him. And the DA says, I've already taken care of it. So this is going to happen whether or not he got Johnny dangerously permission to kill Tommy Kelly, which is his brother. So Tommy is in his car, he starts to drive and um, he's playing music on the radio and his car starts going downhill and he's trying to slow down his car, but he can't because his brake lines have been cut. So the faster the car goes, the faster the radio plays. <laughs> and then uh, finally starts rolling down the hill and Tommy's going, oh my God, <laughs> all the way down this hill as his car is rolling over, as his car is rolling over, but he survives. So the assassination attempt failed and he's in the brother and he's in the hospital and he's covered up head to toe like a mummy you know, uh, healing, presumably. So this is Johnny's brother and Johnny decides he needs to take care of the DA, but you know, he doesn't go out and shoot the DA or anything like that. Instead, he invites the DA to, uh, a dinner and, and they had basically to have a conference. So this is a gag that a lot of people from day is from today is probably not going to get It's It's very old. It refers to, a commercial campaign in the 1980s. They're sitting down and first Johnny presents him with a red smoking jacket. It's like, oh my goodness, a red smoking jacket. And it's my color. So <laughs> the DA is enjoying this. And like I said, the DA is sleazy. He, he knows that uh, Johnny is, uh, you know, happily, I don't know if he's married to Lil Sheridan, but everybody knows their relationship. But he's, the, the DA Danny DeVito is hitting on Johnny dangerously. So he's like, we should get away somewhere for two weeks, like in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and Johnny's thinking about it. He looks at him like, that's a thought. That's a thought. Here, have some of this. And uh, and the DA drinks it like, hmm, what is this? 
And Johnny says, I don't know, read the label. And then he walks away from the table. And then there's rumbling. And next thing you know, a giant bull bursts through the wall. And and um from and then you see the ground shaking and the DA is screaming because the bull is charging at him. And then next thing you know, you see the the news headline is that the DA was killed in the television commercial. So in that way, Johnny Dangerously was able to kill the DA without being implicated himself. Uh, but so the thing is, is that back in the day, um, there was a very popular television series of television television ad that usually starred a bunch of celebrities. And whenever they talked about, oh, so let's smoke liquor, then the bull would break through. And and that was the ad of the bull breaking through the wall. You know, the, the bull would break through the wall, the people would rush out of the bar, and that was the whole commercial. And it was hugely successful because you would see it all the time. So when you saw it in this movie, it was really funny. Probably not funny now, but it was funny back then. So um, another funny part was... Uh, this is during um during the wedding with Tommy and his girlfriend where uh she's uh you know how people get emotional at weddings and whatnot and then uh she's she confesses that she has to tell um Lil Sheridan something. So Lil and Johnny Dangerously they're at the wedding and you know Ma Kelly's all tearing up. She's like, I have to tell you something. And Lil goes, What? She says, I go both ways, which is just kind of a weird thing to confess at a wedding. But I think that's what make it, makes it funny. There's also a gag where Johnny is always fake punching his mom. Like he, he throws a right and, and then he fakes the left and it, it, it hurt, his mom falls down. So that, it's a funny kind of gag that happens throughout the movie. Like I said, there are way more gags in this movie that I could possibly account for. But uh, those are some of the gags that, you know, that I took notes on or gags that I remember from the movie. And if I watch it some more, I'm going to find some more gags and I would want to collect them and tell people about them. But I guess I should move right along to the next segment because I'll just keep talking and talking. And you know what? We don't want that, do we? So let's go on to the next segment, the trivia. All right, now we're going to talk about some of the trivia from Johnny Dangerously, provided by IMDb. When Johnny discusses going to <laughs> when Johnny discusses going legit with Lil, they happily envision all the wonderful things offered by such a lifestyle. One of the benefits was the ability to say hi to a neighbor named Fred, a tip of the hat to Fred Rogers. Michael Keaton got started in the industry by working as a stagehand on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood from 1986. Uh, I'm sorry, 1968. When he was still living in Pittsburgh. When Rogers died in 2003, Keaton hosted Fred Rogers, America's Favorite Neighbor, in 2004, a memorial program on PBS dedicated to his friend and mentor. Michael Keaton's characterization of Johnny Dangerously frequently spoofs James Cagney, a star of gangster movies from the golden age of Hollywood. For legit reasons, I'm sorry, for legal reasons, the Weird Al Yankovic song, This Is The Life, was not included on the home video release of the movie, which is crazy and 
I guess fortunate for me because I have a DVD release and in my version, it has We're Alkovic's song. Um, I'm sorry, We're Out Yankovic's song, This Is The Life. So I'm glad I have the version that has the song in it. The movie's disappointing reception prompted director Amy Heckling to begin writing her own movie projects instead of filming other people's stories, which is, I guess that's the thing you do, right? And <laughs> you try to kind of like uh, strike out on your own, so to speak. The film's producers learned that Danny DeVito might not make his shooting dates because he was still shooting Romancing the Stone from 1984 in Mexico. He barely made it to the set in time. Brian De Palma is a massive fan of the film. He reportedly laughed hysterically throughout an advanced screening. Two months after its relief, De Palma cast Danny DeVito and Joe Piscopo in the next project, Wise Guys from 1986, another mafia-themed comedy. I've never seen Wise Guys, and I've, I don't know how it goes, but now I'm curious. While the movie sends up classic gangster movies in general, the basic plot point of Johnny and Tommy Kelly ending up on opposite sides of the law is inspired by Manhattan melodrama, 1934. In that film, William Powell and Clark Gable portray orphans who are raised together as brothers. Gable's character, Blackie Gallagher, grows up to become a gangster. No surprise. While Powell's character, Jim Wade, becomes a crusading district attorney. Also, in both films, the gangster brother roots for the district attorney brother to succeed. The newspaper issue when Dundee retires poses the question, who is Johnny Dangerously? The associated sketch is of Sylvester Stallone. WWE manager Paul Heyman was called Paul E. Dangerously early in his career because of his resemblance to Michael Keaton's character in the film. Now, when I read this bit of trivia, I went and looked at, because he never looked like Michael Keaton to me, like ever. And I've seen, I've been watching Paul Heyman for a long time. So when I went back and I looked at earlier clips and photos of him, of him, and at no point does he ever look like Michael Keaton, especially since Michael Keaton, I don't think has ever sported, uh, what do you call that? Yeah, what's that party in the front? No, business in the front, party in the back. <laughs> he never, he never sported that hairstyle. I never seen Michael Keaton with a mullet, and I've almost always seen Paul Heyman with a mullet. It, Paul Heyman sported sported a mullet until he could sport the mullet no more. Right when so when Paul Heyman started losing his hair, right he had he basically went to a more conservative hairstyle. But still, it's he never looked like Michael Keaton, even when he was younger. So that is, that's mind-blowing. The rival crime boss in this film is named Maroney, a name shared by a major crime boss in the Batman universe. Michael Keaton appeared on screen as the Cape Crusader in Batman from 1989 and Batman Returns from 1992. Rival gangster Maroney's butchering of the English language is a parody of the stereotypes of Italian immigrants in old movies who have exaggerated accents or speak poor English. The parody is carried further still whenever Maroney swears. Like, you farking assholes, or I'll have you bells in a sling, you know, that sort of thing. 
The cozy little love nest the district attorney offers Tommy is actually the Philadelphia Museum of Art. So this is where I tell you that, where I mentioned that the DA was trying to bribe Tommy. And uh, he's showing them all of these things with, like I said, outrageous bribes. And he shows them this gigantic house. And that house is actually the museum. And finally, Tommy gets into his car to drive home, unaware that the brakes had been cut out. During the drive, the Cole Porter song, Let's Misbehave, starts playing on the radio. As he loses control of the car, it starts driving faster. The singer starts singing the song faster as well. I, I had mentioned that earlier. But I had read that bit of trivia just so I can get the name of the song, Let's Misbehave by Cole Porter. So that's it for the trivia. Now, let's check out what the critics thought. All right, so the critics on uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 44%. The audience gave it a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. And IMDb Reviews is a 6.5 out of 10, which is surprisingly high. I wonder if I had actually updated that. Yes, it appears I did. It, it's higher than I expected. Anyways, um, but even though uh, it, it's higher than I expected on IMDb, uh, but it's somewhat on par with the audience reactions on Rot Tomato. But the critics' reaction was very poor, and it's difficult to find anybody that had anything positive to say on Rotten Tomatoes. As a matter of fact, even the positive reviews were were basically, at the same time, throwing shade at, at the movie. So let's see what they say. Rob Vox, or it might be Rob Vo, from Flipside Movie Emporium, wrote, I know I shouldn't like this film, but damn it, it's just so gloriously, exuberantly silly and that there's no use condemning it. I agree. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, um, it's like I watched, I liked the movie the first time. It's not like I had to, like every time I watch the movie, it's funnier to me. It's, it's not like I had to, it had to grow in me. I liked it immediately. Roger Ebert from Chicago Sun-Times wrote, the opening scenes of Johnny Dangerously are so funny, you just don't see how they can keep it up. And you're right, they can't. But they make a real try. And I agree. Well, I don't know, maybe the second half isn't as funny as the first half of the movie. But um but I I, I don't know. I don't I think what happened is that the movie is really a collection of gags and then it's like at the midpoint, um, filmmakers realized that they needed to tell a story. And so they they basically told the story. It became more structured near the end. And so maybe the, the gags during the movie aren't as dense on the second half of the movie. Steve Crumb from, I think this is videoviewmaster.com. But it, it video is spelled funny. Maybe, maybe I... Did I copy and paste this one or did I type it? I'm not even sure. But video is spelled V-I-D-I-O or or you could recheck it. I'm not exactly sure. But continuing right along, he wrote, Keaton and starring role helps, but overall average laughs. Um, well, we know that comedy is subjective. And finally, we have John J. Puccio from Movie Metropolis wrote, the film doesn't just run out of laugh. It became positively leaden by the last half hour. And I can't say that I agree with that. But uh but that's what he thought. And and you see what I mean. It's like uh 
it's almost like they wanted to like it, but couldn't quite, couldn't quite give it the thumbs up, so to speak. And finally, Johnny Dangerously, as of this recording, available for purchase as a Blu-ray or DVD. That's it for today. Please join us next week when I am joined by my special guest host, Harvey Laguerre, who is the host of two podcasts. Men are the P-R-I-Z-E with Harvey Laguerre. That is Men are the Prize with Harvey Laguerre and Love is Black. Those are two great shows that I encourage you to check out. And I've been eager to have Harvey on ever since I heard him on a podcast. Part of my fandom hosted by my friend Rocky, who will be back with us in a few weeks. Follow us on Twitter or TikTok at Backlick Cinema or Facebook or Instagram at Backlick Cinema Podcast for updates. Don't forget that you can contact us with any questions or comments or suggestions at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. And that's all I have for you at this point in time. But one last time, if you like this show, then please help us grow. To do this, you can subscribe to the show, rate us or write a review on Spotify, podchaser.com, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Believe me, it matters. Be safe. Share a movie from yesteryear with your family. Hug your loved ones. And if you're going to be anything, be outstanding.